Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study, although tonight will be a little different, between a group of genuine misfits transformed by God's grace. My name, in case you're unaware, is Zach Adams. I'm a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three, who's been incredibly blessed. Pastor, I think the greatest church around, uh, Calvary 316. You might be thinking your church is better than mine. It's not. Uh, You'll have to just take my word for it. You can learn more about the church by visiting calvary316.com. Tonight is going to be completely different than what we've been doing recently. So I'm going to start uh, by introducing Creighton Vaughn. Creighton is the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, a man that needs no introduction. Creighton, uh, you're with me. As always, yes, I am. So because I'm, we can't have a show if I'm not with you. Well, that's very true. So I'm going <laughs> to tease. I'm going to tease something. So um, tonight we have we have two special guests with us. Uh, we're going to be talking about something very gnarly. We just got back from having dinner, right? So I had told you about all of this. Now you've had a little exposure. What's your immediate, like your initial impression before we even introduce them? Uh, I would describe them as two guys who are uh, very nice, very genuine, um, have some seen some gnarly stuff. Like, holy crap. I was vaguely aware of the stuff, but you gnarly. Yes. Like, we're talking about these are the type of missionaries that, like, these are missionaries. So, yeah, these with, are like Paul getting beat outside these are of the, the city mission guys so without further without further ado we're going to dive right into it i would like to uh welcome to the outlaw radio show uh, uniquely in studio we've done interviews before but most of the time it's remotely in studio we've got edward amaya i got the last name right i've been working on that edward amaya creighton you can go ahead and switch it over all right they are and uh and we've got sean stone um who has become a dear friend over the oh, last man. two hours love, love you zach absolutely so I, I you know you made a comment that you know a lot of times you know the camera adds 15 pounds that's true with edward it did i don't know mine it seems to be okay but i think <laughs> i i feel like I, lo- I i always lose 15 pounds yes like yeah. i've you know, I i'm looking at my picture it looks like i got 15 pounds in my bicep how about you 15 <laughs> your arms are bigger i'll get there all, all right. right so the audience i would say 99 percent of the audience has absolutely no idea who you guys are who you work for, what you do. And so I'm going to, I'll start, Edward, I'm going to start with you because you've been doing this uh, longer than Sean, and then we'll bring Sean into it. But please explain what Far Reaching Ministries is, uh, how it started, how it's developed, uh, what it's doing now. And then Sean will segue to you, uh, just kind of what your role is within the context of some important things that are happening in the world right now. So I'm going to kind of throw it your direction. Uh, Edward, take it. Wonderful. Well, we have a church called uh, Calvary Three. No, that was your. <laughs> that, was my, that. that was my intro. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, with far-reaching ministries, uh, the Lord has actually called us into some of the most extreme places on the planet where most people are running from. We're running in. We got going years ago. Our founder is a former Marine. He actually, uh, back when you could get away with this, he actually dropped out of school and joined the Marines. Lied about his age. He had a goal that he wanted to go out and kill people. He's just angry. And uh, the Lord got a hold of his heart. He actually was really good with a weapon in the military, and they actually wanted him to go to the Olympics. But the Lord got a hold of his heart, and God took those skills 
And uh, he, he ended up actually becoming a missionary into Russia when the walls first came down. And his down. name? Is Wes Bentley. Sorry about Wes that. Wes Bentley. Yeah, Wes Bentley. So, former military. Yeah. Hard. Mm-hmm. How did he give his life to the Lord? What changed? What cha- before he even got into the mission field, what was it that took him from a hardcore Marine to, like, now wanting to, like, do hardcore things for Jesus? Yeah, it was a Holy Spirit moment. He actually ran into a navigator. And the navigator got his attention. People had tried to share the gospel with him before, and it just didn't resonate. But the the, the navigators actually talked to him about David and, and kind of the rough and tumbly parts. So you're talking about the ministry of the navigators. Yes. I wasn't sure if he was hit by a car. Like yeah, a, no. He got, he got hit. <laughs> it was, it was, he ran into a navigator, and it was a Holy Spirit moment. Yeah, exactly. No, it was before pre-navigator the car. This was navigator the ministry, which is still around. I would say getting running into a navigator would would also be kind of a life. That would be a meet Jesus moment. It yeah. would be a meet Jesus, uh, yeah. maybe even a literal, a literal meet, Jesus meet Jesus moment. moment. Exactly. So he he's been ministered to by the navigators. So that's that's that was kind of the catalyst. Yes. How cool is that? And then he ended up showing up at this church in Costa Mesa called Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and sat under Pastor Chuck and started to hear the scripture, you know, things that he had never thought about before. And it was one of those radical transformations. The watering of the word. It was the watering of the word. It was, it was what he was looking for. He grew up angry and confused and, and his life literally, I, I wish a lot of people I ran into had this radical conversion, but it was literally a switch. His, when he joined the Marines, his brothers were actually glad that he was gone because he was mean. When he came back, they were blown away. They didn't know who he was because it was so radically transformed. And, but the Lord didn't take away that intensity. He, he still had an intensity. He wants to go into the theater. He wants to go where it's hard. And so as he was pursuing the Lord, he ended up uh, just a driven guy. He's a typical Marine, work hard, put your emotions to the side, and an, ended up back in the early 80s was making over $100,000 a year. But he wasn't settled. It wasn't about the money to him. And uh, the Lord ended up getting his heart, and he ended up going down to San Diego to Horizon, went to the School of Evangelism, gave up everything, walked away from a lucrative career and everything, and he just decided that I'm going to be poor. I'm going to go serve Jesus. And it was a radical transformation. I actually met him back then. He was my first roommate when I was a brand-new Christian. This you go all the way back mm-hmm. to, to there. Yeah, and he was actually a big brother to me back then. I'm an amazing big brother. He's eight years older than me. and. As a new Christian, just how he's spoken to my life, that, that discipleship that we really talk about, the real discipleship where you walk a season with someone. You live, you live life. Yeah, we did. And back then I didn't know anything, but we were, you know, we were kind of crazy for the Lord. We would invite people to church. Can you believe that? We'd invite people. And one time my... Uh, Can you do that in California these days? Is that, that allowed you, anymore? No, it's, it's illegal, yeah. It's you, completely illegal. Yeah, they'll, they'll duct tape you and put you in handcuffs and all that stuff. But. Yeah, the, the North Korea and California... Very similar these days. It, f- it feels very similar. Yeah, that's right. And <laughs> I, in fact, I tease Wes. I say, you know, Wes, we need to leave to another state. Let's go to Texas. Let's go to Georgia. And, and he says, no, Edward, we go to play states. Or we go to places where people are running from. So we're staying in California. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Well, I like to tell people in California that Georgia is a terrible place to live. Uh, very high property values. Uh, the climate's just no one should move here. Oh, so. this is, yeah, there's no economy. No, there's nothing here. People are mean. When you hear Southern charm, yeah, don't come to Georgia. No. <laughs> the only thing we have is college football. Yeah. But you got to like Georgia. Hide that. Yeah, you, you got to like Georgia if you're going to move here. You so know. what an interesting, what a very interesting thing. You know, we talk about, you know, when Jesus called, you know, the sons of thunder, James and John, or when Jesus called, you know, Peter and Andrew, you know, they were tending to mending their nets. They were fishermen, right? Yeah. 
And so they were, they, there was something about their personality, how they were wired, where they were, they liked to fish, you know, in the South, you know, th- there's a particular ebb and flow to fishing, you know, um, if you're high strung fishing is not for you. Um, there's something laid back. So they were, it fit their personality. And so what did Jesus do? He's like, you be a fisher of men, you know, like with Wes and just this high strung personality, I want to go kill people to the same intensity of, I want to go save them. It's like how the, how under the flesh or how this, the spirit. So what a neat start to, to all of this. So how does, how does Wes go from being, uh, this poor, you know, school of ministry evangelism, you know, you guys are running around Southern California telling people about Jesus to like the Soviet union dodging bullets in the Sudan, you know, again, I want to whet the appetite for where we're going with all this. So how, how do we get to that point? Well, it's a great story. And I want to encourage your listeners is uh, do not overlook small beginnings. Don't, don't overlook relationships. Yeah. If we take advantage of the things that were in front of us, in fact, that's the message is when God puts something in front of you, whether it's a relationship like you and I, you got to take advantage of that. So what happened was he had a heart to go out and serve the world, but he didn't know what that was. And he didn't have any money. And a lady was when the rush Russia, when the wall first fell back in uh, the uh, in the 80s, a lady was supposed to go there, but the Lord had told her not to, and she went to Wes. This is back when you could switch tickets before 9-11, and said, Wes, I'm not supposed to go. You're supposed to go. And he's like, well, what am I going to do in Russia? And he ended up in Russia, and it was a pretty amazing thing. Uh, the prisons had just opened. Nobody had re- really gone behind the Iron Curtain at that point, but the prisons had opened, and he was going into prisons and leading tens of thousands of just hardcore people to the Lord. It was an amazing experience. So, and his personality, ex-military, it it resonated with those type of guys. Like there was, was something authentic to it. It was his life calling. He he said, "When I got to Russia, I knew this is where I wanted to spend the rest of my life, at least in his flesh, because it was edgy, because it was a it was you know in tough environments. It was it was that leading edge type of stuff, if you will." Now he's. A, a full-time missionary at this point or pseudo? Uh, the first trip was not. He was just a guy going on a trip. After that, he became a full-time missionary and ended up committed to Russia. And he went back over there. He was taking teams, doing things. And in that process, a good question. I like these. I like when you ask those questions. And in that process, because of his background, because he was a Marine, there was a group of pastors from California that heard about the suffering in South Sudan. It was a terrible civil war. Two and a half million people ultimately were killed in that civil war, not just army against army. These were innocent victims. These were women, you know, raped and killed and body parts cut off. And that had national coverage. I mean, I was young, but I remember like Time magazine covers of the, you know, the, the famines that resulted. I mean, this was in the news. It yes. was a big thing. Yes, it was. It was huge. And so he got a call, a kind of an obscure call to go to South Sudan because he was a former Marine. That's all they knew back then. You'd, hey, call Wes. He's the only Marine I know, former Marine I know. And so he prayed about it. But one thing I love about Wes, and, and I think it's an important message for all Christians, is sometimes when we see that there's something to do, we sit around and over-spiritualize it and don't do <laughs> anything. Right on, yeah. And when he was asked, he said he'd take it before the Lord, but he also knows the voice of the Lord. He said, I was made for this, Lord, so you need to confirm it. And before you knew it, he's on a plane going into South Sudan. Drops in there. South Sudan is one of the toughest environments. This is not a place you want to go on purpose. And gets in there, and, you know, he walked into walked through killing fields where over 100 people had just been killed. He, he was dealing with a lot of the locals that had been running for 30 years. Most of their family had been killed. And uh, he, he goes out and he does recon, finds out where the enemy is, radios back after about three weeks, 
these pastors fly, fly in with a small little bush plane, bring in some food, bring in some Bibles, bring in some medicine. And at the end of that, Wes ends up going back to the United States. I'm, I'm kind of condensing the story. He gets back to the United States and he gets alone with the Lord. He needed a little bit of a sabbatical after what he had just experienced. And he said, Father, that was the most ex- amazing experience of my life. But I never want to do that again. <laughs> right. And today what Wes says is if the Lord calls us out of South Sudan, I've learned to be obedient. However, he'll break my heart. And that's another message that I want the body of Christ is we're pursuing our own things. And if we would just fall in line with what God puts in front of us, mm-hmm. he knows the, the desires of our hearts better than us. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just love that in that, that story in my life. And, and it actually resonated with me because everything in life I held loosely. Father, what do you have in front of me now? I'm going to do that. And, and then the Lord uses that as an experience to prepare me for what's next. So with Wes, he gets over there. He ends up going back, obviously, to South Sudan, uh, that's, there was a big problem with Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army in northern Uganda. Some people remember that. Yeah, just to take a, a, a bit of a step back, for those that might not uh, be aware, the, the conflict of Sudan. So, I mean, you're a missionary going into the midst of a civil war. Yeah. But it was kind of like what the essence of the civil war was yeah. that, that compounded the danger the issue. Can you speak to that just a little bit? Just great question. That is the, that is, so this is the, what South Sudan represents is the perfect analogy of two completely different worldviews coming together and clashing. Mm-hmm. So South Sudan or Sudan as a whole gained its independence from Britain in 1956. And since there, it's been at war ever since it's been predominantly the North. They're well-funded there. It's Arab. So when you take Sudan and you break it in half back before Sudan and South Sudan, the North was the Arabs, Muslim, predominantly that, coming out of the uh, Horn of Africa. And South Sudan was predominantly what we think of when we think of Africa. It's the black African. The black African in that part really aligned with Christianity or our animism, but really Christianity. Uh, missionaries had gone there, like General Gordon from the British Army, and brought Christianity there, and it really took root. The North wanted to come down even into nominal Muslim areas like the Nuba Mountains and in Darfur, and they wanted to convert everybody by force to uh, a very strict form of Sharia law. Which, well, that, I mean, goes back to the blueprint of the, you know, the seventh century. It's, yeah. it's oh, the yeah. sword, convert or die. Correct, correct. Know? And so that clash caused the Southern people that didn't want to be under that to, to group together as a bunch of poor farmers, if you will, and they became um, a ragtag rebel army called the SPLA. And they resisted the North for years. What we were called to when we went back in, uh, it was a perfect timing. So the North would come down and the atrocities, they don't, they don't play like we do in America. We're concerned about collateral damage. We, we don't want to see the innocent suffering on purpose. It's just part of our, our DNA. But there it's different. The North would come down and if they took over a village, they would rape the women, they would rape the children, they would cause the children to have to, to kill their own parents, cut off their heads or be killed themselves. It was just incredibly traumatic. And, and in that trauma... I forgot where I was going with that. And these are the things that Wes, like going back to what you were saying, he went there, he's ministering there, and like this is hitting him heavy. It's ripping his heart out. Right. Because Wes, even in Wes's anger, what he realized that what it was about was the unfairness of life. Why can bad people get away with things? That was the bitterness because he had experienced some pretty bad trauma in his life. He He saw the ugliness that had happened where he had lived. His dad was in the military, so he was all over the world. And that was part of his drive, the unfairness of life, but he didn't know how to put words on it. And when he saw that, he knew he had to do something. And with his background... So I told you about the North, but what happened was the South, they're uneducated, wore their entire life, high literacy rate. And when the South would take over a village again, 
they would do some of the same atrocities. They would, it, they would rape and cut off body parts. And, and there was, yeah, it was some clergy said, we got to stop that. And so they said, we need chaplains. Well, perfect merging together. They found out that Wes was a Marine, that he's a Christian. He's in the country, really caring about the people. And they said, can you help train our chaplains? In fact, our first group of chaplains are going to, they're Muslim. They're out of the Nuba Mountains, but they're in the worst part. And we're, we got to train them not to do that retaliatory killing because they're closer to Sudan. And so he took some Muslims and he, we had a class. We did a Bible college to take them through class to prepare them for these things. Brought in some people from the United States. These chaplains went back up there, had a conversion. They, every one of them to the last person had an experience with the Holy Spirit that was life transforming. So the first group of chaplains started as Muslims. Exactly. Amazing. They, they were sent down there. And what Wes realized when he got him was, oh boy, we got a lot of work to do. So shared the gospel and these pastors, it was, it was radical. And here's the neat thing is when they got to go back up in the Nuba Mountains, he ran into that general a little later. And the general said, I want more of those guys. Your guys are trained. They're better trained. My guys that went through you are better than my entire platoon combined because they had learned a work ethic. They had heard about scripture. When God gives you something to do, you put your shoulder into it. And uh, so he gave them more guys. And then that word got around into South Sudan. And then other generals were sending people. Well, fast forward that. Today, we've raised up 550 chaplains that are deployed across South Sudan in, in all forward combat units. That's amazing. Let's pause there. Sean, let's get you in for a minute. All right. And, and I said we, at the onset we were going to talk about what you're doing now. Sure. But we had dinner. So yeah. I know that you've been to the Sudan. So we're talking about the Sudan, yeah, yeah. how all of this started. Mm -hmm. You've been there. Yep. Like this is, you work for the organization yeah. now, but... Just as a pastor, as a sure. Christian, you've done trips. Share a little bit about your experiences. Absolutely. Um, I've had the opportunity to go several times now. First time I was going there, I didn't know what to expect. I'm going to Africa. I'm a guy from okay. Southern California. I'm a little nervous, a little excited. There's not There's not a lot of really good surfing. There is Sudan. not a lot. And basically everything in Africa is trying to kill you, whether it's a person, bugs, whether it's a bug, whether snakes, it's a parasite, snake. Yeah. So I'm excited. And I, I will say this. It was probably... And I know you're probably used to people with guests giving a lot of hyperbole. And I, I wish it, everything I mean is not hyperbole. It was one of those life-changing experiences. I We're we used all, to the host giving a lot of hyperbole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, every pastor, this is the best sermon you'll ever hear. This is the most important. Every week. Okay, I heard it last week. But literally, it was one of the most life-changing experiences to meet these men. And I think for the first time, I understood the kind of men that surrounded David. You know, when you talk about. The men of valor. The men of valor. You know, you got Joab and how to kill a lion in a snowy pit, you know, a pit on a snowy day kind of thing. You know, it's like, well, these were those guys. There, there's like really guys that exist out there. And these That's chaplains. actually week four of our children's ministry curriculum. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. How, to, how, how to, exactly. How to kill a lion in a snowy pit. <laughs> how to deal with those EGR people. You got the EGR people, right? Who are the EGR people? The extra grace required. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. We, we got a few. Anyway, Actually, I've been past for a really, long time. It was just a little EGR. Anyway, I'm We're getting, really good at running those people. Yeah, off. the EGR folks are like, okay, EGR. Anyway, so going there, to meet, you know, we had a, my first experience was a chaplain refresher course. So they bring these guys in. These are guys that have been serving in the bush, and they've been out. Some of the guys hadn't been back to base camp for like five years. I remember a couple of the guys. That's insane. And, and for a week just to get to teach them. And I remember we did the pastoral epistles. And I'm teaching these guys the pastoral epistles. And I, I remember like halfway through going, you need to teach me these things. You know, it was just like you are living some of these things. Like, you know, when Paul's talking about Timothy, like fight the good fight, be a soldier. I'm just like, okay, I need to sit down and you need to tell me. Here were men that 
were some of the toughest men had seen things I can't even conceive of. I literally remember seeing some of the scars on their body, and they never said anything. I'd ask, you know, bullet hole here, shrapnel here, and yet worshipped like I have never seen worship. And one of the part of the training of the chaplain's course is they, they learn women's ministry and children's ministry. Not only they learn the Bible, but there's really practical things. And so that same week, we were doing some outreaches to children. And these very same men that had served on the front lines were getting down and doing VBS and playing games and picking up kids. You would think these would be cynical, hardened men that would have no time for, for kids and yet could get down and pick these kids up and play and, and do games like you know, different games, but games with these kids and love them. They understood the power of children, the they importance of children. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and these were men that should have PTSD, should have all these things. And maybe they did, but they had, they had a, they, they encountered the gospel and it changed their life and it changed mine. I'll never forget. There's one guy in particular it was like day four and his name is Paul Quo. And I'm praying for this guy. And I'd got to know him over a few days to this day, if I can close my mind, it's probably one of the best smiles I've ever seen in my life. Just, I mean, you ever meet somebody and they radiate joy? This guy radiated joy. And I, do, I went to pray for him. And I put my hand on his back. And when I put my hand on his back, it was on fire. And I'm not talking Holy Spirit fire. I'm talking like legitimately like this guy's got a fever, probably 105 or something. I've never felt somebody so hot before. And I'm like, you okay? He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And he wouldn't say, he wouldn't say. Well, finally, one of the other chaplains, his brother said, you know, he just got back from the clinic. He, he had to walk two weeks to get here to get to the... Which is a normal thing, Which right? is a normal thing. I can't even imagine that. And I'm complaining about, you know, 24-hour flight and layovers and Heathrow. Oh, this sucks. You know, and this guy literally walked for two weeks to get there. The swells in Oceanside were terrible last I, week. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, first world problems. And the guy tells me about Paul. He's like, yeah, he just got out of the clinic because he's fighting malaria and typhoid at the same time. And you would never have known it. Unbelievable. I mean, let I got a me, cold. Let me and I'm like, there. This is how serious that is. My son, I brought him over there on yeah. a mission trip. He ended up with malaria and typhoid and almost died. I had to take yeah. him into a third world hospital. So this yeah. guy, that's so that's yeah. a little bit of concept. My son almost died. That's how bad it is. Yeah. Jeez. And so yeah, I just that experience marked me. You know, of just like what does it mean to really follow Jesus? To be really changed and to, if you really believe something, I mean, and if you've encountered God, it changes you. And so we're we're gonna get to where you are now. Yeah. But just. I can't leave the moment. Sure. Um, how cool is it to have had that experience and now have the opportunity to work for the organization that facilitated oh, that experience? Absolutely incredible. And I, I've been with Far Reaching in, you know, in, in some ways for 18 years. I've known Wes and his wife, Vicki, uh, close friends of mine. Uh, my family and I, we actually went out as missionaries ourselves into Europe and France for a few years under the covering of Far Reaching. And so to get the opportunity to come and serve under a ministry like this was amazing. And I've been, I've been a pastor for pretty much 22 years and variety of different capacity, most recently an executive pastor, but to have yeah. this opportunity, I was thrilled to, um, you know, you, you, you never know when life's going to be and what you just, you just say yes to Jesus. And sometimes you think your world might get smaller, but when you say yes to the Lord, one thing I know is it always gets bigger. And it's, and it always, it always supersedes what you think it will Oh, be. every time. Every time. And a lot of times saying yes to the Lord, it feels like you're, this is it. It's, you're jumping off into an abyss. And every time it's like, okay, Lord, why don't I just say yes sooner? <laughs> you know. All right. Back to the story. So Far Reaching Ministries, yeah. Wes um, begins really kind of cutting the, the, their teeth, their chops, Sudan. But the ministry doesn't, doesn't just stay focused to the Sudan. It, it develops, it grows. Pick, pick it up from there. 
uh, Edward, and kind of kind of get us up to today. Excellent. Well, originally we started expanding just by need in Africa. We were originally our vision. We you know we obedient to Christ. Our vision was Christ for a continent after Christ for Sudan. That was the uh, northern Uganda with Lord's Resistance Army. That was in Kenya with uh, what was going on with El Shabaab. Yeah. It's uh, with uh, Boko Haram and some of those other countries. So we started to expand, and we were there. And then some of that expanded into other areas. Some of our missionaries wanted to go other places, and we kind of felt like we were losing drift there. But it was the Lord, because we started to be an open and saying, okay, Lord, what else are you saying? And what the Lord did with those original days, we, we met a lot of people we probably wouldn't have met before because what we do with the military, with scripture, in a war zone, a lot of people in the churches are not attracted. That's scary. Uh, and we need people that when you hear a bomb go or a bullet go off, that you don't run. It's natural for us to, it's a natural for us to hide. But we need people when you hear that sound to go towards bullets. And so the Lord orchestrated that. We started running into people that had come from the military and then from the military, special forces training, strong, committed believers. Intelligence folks. Intelligence yeah. folks. We had people from all different branches of the intelligence that care about us. And, and I can say with great confidence that I know a lot of these people within those communities, and there are some very committed Christians and very committed patriots. And those relationships were developed over time. They would come in. They wanted to work with the chaplains, a lot of specialized training. And then as we started to expand, we ended up in other war zones. We ended up in Syria. We ended up in taking care of Burma. We ended up in a lot of areas like that. Uh, and it, so it really expanded beyond that. Today, we went from one country. We're in 32 countries. And uh, nine, of those, nine of the countries we're in are in the top 10 most dangerous countries in the world. And we're, we're running into those things. We're supporting the underground church that is bringing the love of Christ into some of the darkest places. Yeah. I, I know I've got to be a little tactful in how I, in how I phrase certain questions uh, just because of the, you know, what you specifically are in charge of. Um, so I'm going to kind of like tee it up just with that broad question. Um, the ministry as a whole, but then kind of hone into like your role in the ministry. So yes. like today, summarize the ministry. What's what's the objective of far-reaching ministries? But then also, just because you're here, you know what you do. Excellent. So we've gone from Christ to a continent, or Christ in South Sudan to Christ to a continent to we uh, ghost operations. So I, I run a division of our organization, which is called Ghost Operations. Okay, so I wasn't I wasn't even sure I could say I could say that because if you go to the website, there's only like a small blurb. There's yeah. no names. You know, so I. I I was tiptoeing, so yeah, thank you. You have to you have to explain ghost operations. Ghost operations is the invisible arm of the church, the invisible arm of Christ into these most dangerous company countries. It's a place where we don't get to get a lot of press. We don't want that. We want to stay as low keyed as possible. Um, and, and because of what we do, we've caught the attention of people. We try not to. You don't see us all over social media. I'm not on social media. We just don't want that. We want to get the work done. We want to glorify God. But sometimes the message gets out. And so because and of it's that. Sa it's safer that way. It is. Oh, yeah. It's much for, safer. For you guys, for the people mainly yeah. on the ground, right? Yeah. yeah. For us, if we ended up with a movie deal, if we ended up with books, if we end up you know, all over the place, it's a good thing for us because it's going to bring in money. 
but it's not a good for thing for the people we're serving. And the best thing we can do is to leave no attention there and trust the Lord to open up doors for us. And so that's what we do. We've had some people want to do movies on us, even out of Hollywood. We've had people want to write books, and Wes says, no, I don't want, I don't want to distract from the work. So I can talk a little bit about ghost operations. There's a lot of stuff we don't talk about because, you know, in, there's an old saying that loose lips sink ships. Well, in our world, loose lips kill people. Right. And wow. we, we're really caring about the underground church. And in a lot of countries, let's just take Afghanistan, we all care about the Americans that are there. We care about those that stood up with America, supported America for the last 20 years. We care about their lives. Translators, yeah. people who, who supported us. We care about that. But there's one group of people that is never makes it on anybody's list, and those are Christians. And Christians are there to bring the love of Jesus to hurting places. And so our responsibility are the hurting places. So from Christ to a continent to, to ghost operations, we really see ourselves as a Christian logistics company into the most dangerous places. We want to make sure we're getting in Christians that are committed to Christ Jesus into these dark places. We work m predominantly with, with nationals. We, we develop them. We disciple them. We get them connected. We build a network. But there's other things that have to happen. How do you get money into those countries? and not put people at risk? How do you get support into there? How do you care about their health? Those are things that we have to think about as an organization to support. Our goal is, is not to go in with guns. Our goal is to bring Jesus into these countries where the people are suffering. And what I can tell you, even at the most basic level, it's governments that are corrupt. It, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there are bad actors in every country, even in America, but it's the people. The people want what we want. They want to take care of their family. They want hope. They want their children to have a better life. They want to do those things. But there's a lot of countries that are set up in opposition against that. The things that we take advantage or take for granted, such as freedom in America, spend a month in Sudan, spend a month in Afghanistan. You don't have that attitude anymore. You don't talk about some of the silly things that we're, we're debating right now. You don't. You care about the individual. And at the end of the day, it's that. I'm going to make this personal. You know, there, I'm a, I consider myself a pretty tough guy. I, I just am. I, I love testosterone. I love, I love being a guy. That's just I mean, me. you're, you're wearing a pink shirt. It's, it's purple. And, it's purple. And, we, and there's We've no, debated this today. It's, but, yeah. it's purple. It's lavender. It's it not pink. It a confident man. It does. And with thoughts. I have black in there though. So, okay. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, when you experience trauma, when you deal with a four-year-old girl that, has been molested by her uncle because she's a Christian and he's, he's Muslim, he's Taliban. When you yeah. see that a, a person will kill his own brother, when you, see the, when you see those type of atrocities, you don't just give somebody a glass of water and say, Jesus be with you. You have to be committed to walk whatever distance that requires, how many years, it doesn't matter. This has to be something that is such a radical transformation. And what keeps me up at night is, why was, why was God be so gracious to me to allow me to be born in a country that's imperfect, but I have freedoms? What if I were born there? What if I were tied up with duct tape on a chair watching somebody violate my daughter and somebody else come and violate my I would pray in the name of Jesus that somebody would come and rescue. I can't answer for the rest of the world, but I can answer for me. I can answer for Wes. I can answer for this man. We're going to go and we're going to love on people no matter what the cost is. And there is a cost. It's yeah. a cost to relationship. It's a cost to freedom. There's a lot of things we don't get to do. I don't get to sit around and watch football. I love football. I'm addicted to football. I love MMA. I love those things. But I make a choice to say no yeah. to that so I can do this. Yeah. Let, me, uh, let me actually back, back up a step because you did you personalized it. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking as someone that's watching this, um, and hearing kind of that very impassioned appeal, just sure. it, 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 it hits. I know 
your story. I know your background. Yeah. So you had already mentioned, and I think the audience might fall into a mistake of thinking, oh, he knew Wes back in the college days. You know, he's been he's been shoulder to shoulders running around the Sudan ever since. But oh, that's yeah. not your story. No. You know, you're making this impassioned plea, but there's there's some context and meat behind that that I think again, you speak as much of this as as yeah. you're comfortable with, but um I think that there's a real a powerful testimony to that. Yeah. Uh, if you could share. Amen. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll use discretion there. We have, you know, a certain amount of time and I want to make this about the people of the world that we as Christians need to love. We are called to empathize with those people, but I want to talk to everybody that feels like they've been through the fires of life and that's almost everybody. But right. I want to talk to people who kind of go, God can't use me, my story, my failures. My life has been both a series of amazing grace and incredible pain. And I thank God for that pain. I never thanked God back then when I was going through these incredibly difficult situations. But as I got through it, God used that time to prepare me for things, to give me the right heart, to give me compassion, to give me drive, to give me sensitivity, to give me grace. And, and I needed those. I, I had to go through some really difficult fires. My family was hit pretty hard. I have, I've had my heart ripped out of me. I've ripped people's hearts out with stupidity. But when Wes called you and said, hey, I need you to come work for yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, that, that cost you something. It did. I was actually, at that point, I had become a VP of a $9 billion company. I was in a very good place career-wise. I was said I had favor with uh, the president of my organization. We were publicly traded. I had a lot going on. I, I was making a tremendous amount more money than I am in ministry. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, tremendous amount. You know, I, I, my life was good, but I knew the call. I knew the call. I knew what it was like. You know, what God didn't do in my life during my fires, and these are not fires compared to what they deal with in Afghanistan or South Sudan. Yeah. They're still fires. And I never, God didn't allow me to have a person like Wes or you in my life during those tough times. I had to work these out. And what I realized is that I, I only had so much information and I had to fail in my pain. But God used that in me because now I'm driven to help people to understand that there is, yes, you're in fire, but there's always hope because God gave me hope. God didn't give it to me, but it gave me a drive to, I wish I had that. And so I want to go back and do it. But I walked away from corporate America when Wes called me. The Lord had prepared me a year earlier saying, I'm calling you into ministry, but then he also gave me the same word of, and now forget about it, because he didn't want me to get distracted, and yeah. we can do that. Jesus is coming, let's quit thinking, you know, kind of thing. I'm going into ministry, I don't have to be excellent at work. Well, I was excellent at work. I threw myself in, and, and I had such incredible favor with my CEO that for three years after I left, he called me back twice a year to invite me to come, you know, come on back. Ed, are you done with your mission stuff? Are you ready to come back? Um, but I took a major pay cut, came on, and when I got on, wasn't even sure what I was going to do. Wes just needed some help. <laughs> You're right. And we had gone from a mom-and-pop ministry working in Sudan. We started to expand, and he just needed help. We needed to think about security. We were going to be targeted. You know, there's per people in this world won't like us. You came out done. of the corporate world. I Thank mean, uh, mom-and-pop, you, you're having larger donations. How yeah. do we protect that? Correct. The, the structure of it all. Correct. How do we think about security, network security? It's not stuff Wes ever had to think about, right? And those are things I had to know about because I had a big organization to protect from espionage, from all these type of things. And so God used those skills that I was able to take and put in some layers. And I ended up being promoted to the general manager. I was responsible for global operations at that point. And then fast forwarding that a little bit now, I, I gave up that position because what the biggest risk is, what the biggest need is, is really these 700 underground pastors and their churches that we're supporting in these 32 countries. Ghost operations. Ghost operations. Let me, let me ask, um, has there ever been a day that you regretted it? Not a day. Right. In, in fact, 
um, we really haven't talked about Afghanistan, and I want to invite we'll you. Which we'll get to. Well, I want to invite everybody, even if we don't get there, to come to Zach's church on Sunday. I'm going to talk a little bit about what's going on. Obviously, I'm going to keep it well-guarded, but we'll do that. Um, and we're going to give a little tease of that towards the end of the show. We're going to wet right. people's appetite for it. Sean, back to you. All right. Um, again, you've had experience with the ministry. What, what is your role now? You're newly on staff. Yep. Been two like months. two months. Two months, yeah. Um, similar thing that, that couple, couple options, but the Lord just moved you this direction. He did. Explain how that worked, the Lord was doing in your heart, sure. and then uh, what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. Is there a bit of a season of transition, kind of going, okay, Lord, what do you have next for me? Like we all do at different times. Sometimes we, we want that transition. Sometimes the transition happens to us. I was in one of those, it's happening to me kind of moments. And I was like, okay, God, what do you have? And there's a couple different options. And then, uh, like I said, I've known Wes and far reaching. I'd, we were missionaries out from them. And so Wes called me one day and said, hey, would you want to come work for us and join us? And I said, sure, let me pray about it. Okay. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Because I know the integrity, I knew the work, you know, as a missionary and just, you know, as, like I said, I've been a pastor for 22 years, executive pastor, been around the world different. This was one, this was one missions organization and ministry that was doing far, listen, I've been around, Zach, you're a pastor, you know, sometimes people evangelistically speaking and they bloat their numbers. It's, it's a tragic thing, but we've all been there. If anything, I, I knew Wes, you know, underreported the numbers, meaning, you know, downplayed so much. And so I was like, yeah, I really want to be a part of this. Um, I wasn't fully sure, kind of like, Edward, yeah, I'm going to come on. And then it, very quickly I realized, or I was told or offered, Director of Victims of War. And what that means is, you know, as, as we are in all these countries, oftentimes, as you know, like, you know, the innocent victims of all these are the kids. Yeah. You know, they have no part. They have no say. They have no voice oftentimes. And they're left fatherless. They're left motherless. They're left with the trauma. They're left with... Being the provider for siblings. Being the yeah. provider for siblings. And that happens in countries like Sudan, like Uganda, Indonesia. Syria. Syria. Uh, just where, where I live in San Diego, an hour and a half, literally an hour and a half. I, I, I'll never get over just looking at... There's this fence, and there's a fence there. Whatever, you're, whatever your listeners feel about a wall, you know, there is a wall there. You know, I don't want to go down that road, but... I just think I'm born on this side, and if I was born on that side, my life would look very different. And so we're dealing with kids that their grandmas and, and moms, um, their husbands left them, their dads, you know, abandoned them or were killed by the cartel. And some of these kids have been um, sold as sex slaves and then trafficking to the cartel. And we've been able to get them out, and we're, and we're walking with them. Not just discipleship and, and giving them the gospel, but we're building houses, you know, for the moms. They can take care of their kids. And so my job and responsibility is we have these hundreds, hundreds of kids that are some in different countries or in schools that we're helping fund. Some we're providing food and resources for in some areas. We're building houses for their mom and the kids. And so my responsibility is to help um, tell their stories, to help connect with the body of Christ here in America who, who every night get to go home and, you know, check their Nest thermostat and lock their door, which I'm grateful for. I've got one myself, but to remember they have brothers and sisters in around the world that, that need their help and prayers and support. And, uh, you know, it's near God's heart. You know, when I listen to you guys talk, one, one of the things, and neither of you have mentioned this and maybe yeah. haven't even thought of it, but so I'm a, I'm a news junkie. Sure. So I follow the news yeah. and, and enjoy, the, you know, following the news. Um, and you see crisis. So like, for example, um, you see this, this humanitarian crisis that's taking place on the southern border. Yeah. And, and, and you watch the news, 
and you're getting a good understanding of what's happening. But the connection is never made of the effect of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Like that there yep. are Christians in that group. You watch what's happening in Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah. And again, our concern is getting out our citizens or the Marines or, you know, people that have helped us. But then there's that one step back yeah. of like, well, I got brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yeah. And, and, and see, seeing the news story, it'll never, it'll, they never talked about the Christian community yeah. and the effects yeah. of the rise of ISIS in Syria yeah. on them. Totally. But when you hear you guys' stories, yeah. you, you're seeing that stuff I, firsthand. Yeah. Exactly. I think one of the biggest things is oftentimes the news just paints people in big groups. And it's easy to label, to stereotype a whole group until you've actually talked to a person who belongs to that group. Right. Does that make sense? No, it does. Because you go, oh, they're just this, or oh, just that, and we didn't vet them, and we did this. And I'm not saying we don't need all those things. It's a whole different perspective when you actually sit down and you hold the, you know, you pick up a little kid in your hands whose dad's gone, and, and you and you realize we're not just talking about groups of people. You know, we're talking about Jose. We're talking about Juan and people. You know, Juanita, we're talking about people. people. We're talking about you know. Ishmael, you know, I can think of in Sudan and these little kids, they're yeah. people. I'm not thinking about numbers and I, and there's people that have to worry about that. But I, my job is to tell the people about them, you know, pure and undefiled religion as this God says yeah. is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And I know this one that's near and dear to God's heart. Number two, Satan hates widows and orphans, like legitimately, spiritually, like I'll say this because God cares so much about them. You see, they've been marked by the enemy. And so as believers, it's our job to realize they have, there's like a target, you know, and once Satan has their, his grasp in them in this way, he wants to just absolutely ruin their life in every way, shape or form. So we know God has a plan and we want to be a part of that. I'll just say personally, we mentioned early on the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army, yeah. and it was this horrible terrorist organization that was in, that was taking kids from Northern Uganda in different parts. And literally in the middle of the night, they would come into these places and murder moms and dads, or worse than that, they would actually make the kids murder their parents because they'd hold a gun to their There's kids. There's been a lot of documentaries. I mean, just horrible, yeah, horrible yeah. stuff. That story was, well, a couple of other things. What moved me, my youngest son is actually adopted from Uganda. So this isn't really? just something that's like, you know, out there, like this is something deeply personal to me. And I've got three kids, you know, Noah, Bentley, and Isaac. And, you know, honestly, when I adopted Isaac, I, he came to our home at two years old. I'll be honest, I didn't know if I would love him. I wasn't sure. Like, I, I, I love him, but I was honestly, I can say this. Like, God's, like, I don't think of him any different than I think of my other two kids. Like, I love that kid so much. That's amazing. Like, I, I forget sometimes when people will say something, where's your kid? I'm like, well, that's my son. And they look at me like, what? And then I, I forget they're like processing their brain because he's like 6'3", and he's got muscles on muscles on muscles, you know? Right. And I'd like to think he got those from me, but let's be honest, you know, he didn't. And I, I, <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but I forget because I just, I love, I love him like I love my daughter, Bentley. I love him like I love my son, Isaac. And I remember one day, and God's like, that's what I feel about these kids. It's amazing. You know, and, and, and so the whole language of when God talks about adopting us, I mean, that whole, that, that changed my whole perspective when I read the New Testament about what <laughs> And then God when you adopted someone. When you adopt yeah. So for me, it's so personal. And so, yeah, I, I am so blessed to be a part of that part of the mystery. Like, like I said, we grew from Sudan to all these, you know, it started training chaplains and then, well, who's going to take care of these kids? And who's going to, and it's like, okay, God, you've put this in front of us and, so we'll say yes, and because we've said yes, that's a God's great more. that's a great segue. So we've talked about chaplains, yeah. and then we've used some broad terminology: sure. discipleship. How do we get money into places? Sure. But like food aid is a big mm -hmm. is you guys use certain relief mechanisms as 
as the way into certain areas yeah. to build goodwill. To Can you speak to that just a little bit, maybe, Edward? Yeah, just- gl- gladly. What we realize as an organization, it really is about leading people to Christ and discipling them in Christ. But when somebody is hungry and they're dealing with the trauma that their family has been raped and wiped out, practical religion loves on them. It takes care of those things. It takes care of the basic needs of life, of shelter and food, and, and, even, and going beyond that, even to education. We're completely committed to that because we want these lives, should the Lord tarry another thousand years, we don't want to just help somebody and then they end up a broken person for the next 50 years and die off. We want to see people transform because my story yeah. is that. I came from a very broken family. I'm the first generation that my three kids have gone to college. You know, all three of my kids graduated. My, you know, from my line, it's so different. And so it's Christ at 19 years old was the transformation of my life, or I would have been like my broken family. I've been so radically transformed that my kids are. And so we want to take these kids and love on them and educate them in a practical way, disciple them in the things of Christ Jesus, get them excited about becoming lawyers, doctors, moms, dads, all those type of things. Should the Lord tarry, that's going to transform their countries. That's going to transform their lives. And so we're completely about all the things that people need for the basic necessity of life. And when you haven't eaten or even eaten for a week, or you haven't even had water for three days and you're dehydrated and you're sinking in, the the name of Jesus doesn't mean much at that moment. Water means something. And then when you say Jesus brought it, it changes lives. We've led many Muslims, including imams to the Lord, by loving them in their hardest situation. That's the gospel of the kingdom. We've been really good at the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom is salvation, but it's also deliverance. It's healing emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so walking with these people, the trauma is not just, it's certainly preaching the gospel of salvation, but it's also walking through them because God wants to make them whole, delivered, and healed in every way, shape, or it's form. It's just loving people. Absolutely. It's like, it's you know, you, we get all kinds of like, you want to call it, you know, social justice or yeah. this, that, and the other. And it's like, Man, like, forget the terminologies. It's yeah. just, you love Jesus, you love people. Absolutely. I, I, I care about your soul, yeah. and I care about you. Exactly. Like, right now. It does, like, we don't have to get into... Jesus all- didn't, like, okay, if you got saved, you get fed and you get healed. No, he just healed people. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, well, here's a line for those who believe. In it. No, he healed everybody. It would have made, to, yeah. made the feeding of the 5,000 a yeah. totally different type yeah. of story. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. Put them through a, uh, well you know, a little quiz first. Uh, no, no food for you. No, he just fed them. No food for you. We're going to partition wow. like, these like people here. No, no soup for you. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. so, I want to throw one thought on there if you don't. Can I yeah, interrupt Yeah, no, no, no. Please, please. we got plenty of time. I want to really encourage the body of Christ, and this is something that I've had to do. I had to face these things. It's easy to want to turn off the TV. I have pictures and videos that it, they're hard to watch. I mean, for somebody who cares about life and care. I mean, it's that yeah, cringe. You, you brought out some of these photos right as we got food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's the cringe. Timing. It, you know, I did it on purpose because I'm trying to help <laughs> us all stay you know, slender. <laughs> but the reality is that when, if we will quit dehumanizing people, when we're talking about, and, and, and I understand that we have to protect our borders. I'm all for that. There's, yeah. s- there's a billion yeah. reasons that make sense. Yeah. But as Christians, we cannot lose compassion. These are people. These are somebody's mother and father and daughter. The truth is, is if I were in Mexico, if I were born there and 
I had no hope, what would I do to take care of my family? I'm not justifying it, but what I am saying I'd as Christians, river. I'd cross the river. Yeah, I, I would, wouldn't think twice. I wouldn't now. think twice. I would do anything to help my family. I'm not saying breaking the law is what we need no. to do, but as Christians, we have to quit this, and I'm not saying everyone does, but we have to stop this dividing line. Yeah. As the body of Christ, we should be the social justice warriors for the kingdom of heaven. We should be the ones that are caring about the, the economy, and we should be caring about our, the ecology. We should be caring about smog. We yeah. should be leading this because we're children of a living God who spoke this in and then gave us authority over it. So that, we have to have compassion. So that's a great transition, um, and I'm going to pivot. I'm going to pivot hard off of that. So one of the things that I've always, um, I I don't, I don't like the church, you know, so there's a separate, our country is founded on a separation of church and state. Um, Not necessarily to protect the state from the influence of the church, but to protect the church from the influence of the state. What's been very interesting as we've seen certain, certain movements within, within Christianity as of late that are more gravitating towards social justice and social sure. issues. They there's almost this 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 subtle appeal, this desire to use the state yeah. to accomplish the aims of the church, and um, and that drives me nuts. And an easy example of it is is I love the fact that. You know, the church was never called to be to be a place where people would come to encounter God. That was the temple. That was the old covenant. Instead, the church was it was ascending, and you go into the world with the gospel. Yep. It wasn't gathered to scatter. You know, we talk about America as the place where the you know you know send us your poor, right, and, and whatever. Oh, yeah. What I love and what inspires me about what you guys are doing. Is it is very gospel centric because you're not trying to utilize the state to accomplish the mission of the church. No. Instead, what you're doing is you're, you're you're utilizing the wonderful opportunities we have as Americans mm-hmm. to actually go and do things that the state isn't. Yeah, that's failing, which transitions us to a little bit of a tease <laughs> for what will be on Sunday. So we've all been glued to the news over the last month, month and a half about what's happened in Afghanistan. Um, I think polling shows that the majority of Americans were done with this 20 year war. A lot of people didn't know why we were still there to begin with. Nation building has failed. You know, Trump got elected on pulling troops out of Afghanistan. People don't remember, but Obama got elected on the same promise. Joe Biden got elected on that promise. Now we've watched the, the way it's happened been a complete disaster. And I think, again, polling will show, while most people are in favor of a withdrawal, no one's in favor with how the withdrawal happened and the collateral damage. Uh, we, it's an embarrassment. We lost 13 servicemen. We retaliated by killing seven children and a couple aid workers in a drone strike. It, the whole thing has been just a total train wreck. The people we've even brought out are not the people they told us we were bringing out. 3% are the translators. Not a lot of Americans. We haven't vetted these people. I bring all that up to just kind of throw it your direction because there are a lot of, yes, there's Americans, there's these translators, but there are a lot of Christians in Afghanistan that you, you made the comment to me the other day that what you think you know of what's going on on the ground 
like doesn't even begin to scratch the surface as to the real situation. So with, let's say, five minutes that we have left, give me a, you know, the 10,000-foot perspective. Tease the folks for maybe some more details at church on Sunday. It's a train wreck. It is not just a train wreck. So we already built up where we'd spend some time in Sudan, you know, two and a half million people killed. It's been pretty bad. Afghanistan to our entire staff feels like the worst thing we've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. It is 20 years of hard work to see something collapse in 10 days. I don't even have to get in more details. That is an absolute failure. I'm not smart enough to say I could have done it better. But all I can tell you is the reality on the ground is what you're seeing on the news doesn't even scratch the surface. There are more than 100 Americans still stuck there. There's probably 1,500 to 2,000 at least. Some of them don't want to leave like one lady where we've helped. Um, she is an American, but she was helping out children that had their parents killed by the Taliban. So she was taking care of orphans. For her to jump on a plane meant that those kids were left there, which means that they would have been in the Taliban hands, which means that they'd have been human trafficked. Uh, all the bad things that you can go on. So she, she said, I can't leave. And so those stories are going on. We're trying to help them and help the kids and do all that type now, of stuff. I, I, I got to pause because that, that actually takes me back because we've, we've had the State Department <laughs> ridicule these, Ameri- you know, these American citizens that refuse to listen to us to leave. And you sit there and you think on the news, like, yeah, why the heck didn't they leave? Yeah. Like, it's Afghanistan. Yeah. But that humanizes it. Like, how, how do you leave? How do you leave your family? How do you leave? Right. For example, if you had to leave um, Atlanta, just, I mean, it got so bad. And your, your parents, who I happen to know, you know, they're a little bit older. I mean, what would you do? Just like, oh, yeah, I'm leaving my kids and leave. Oh, no biggie. I'm, it, it, we my gotta, parents we, might have left us. Maybe your parents <laughs> have. Sad. But I'm talking about your generation <laughs> and a lot more compassion. <laughs> But the reality is that it's, it's more complicated. And when we give, when we give 20 second sound bites on TV, the first thing to realize that if they can do it in 20 seconds, it's not true. It's more complicated than that. What I can tell you on the ground is that everybody that we're dealing with Americans, even what they call SIVs, those are the people that, you know, have, they qualify for a, for an SIV, which is a special uh, immigration visa. The people that served us or helped us qualify for that. Some of them were just left behind. Some of them want to get out, but it's more complicated. What I can tell you is that we don't know one Christian that doesn't want to get out because it's so dangerous. The Taliban, uh, I, I want to be careful with this, but... But they're going door to door hunting they're, they're people. Going, yeah, they're going door to door. In fact, we yeah. were able to save one guy. He was, he was with YWAM, um, and I can't get into too many details here because I got to be careful, but they were looking for him. They had sent him letters in multiple languages basically saying, you're dead. You helped America. You, you, know, you care about that. We're fine. And they were banging on doors. We, he was two hours ahead of them. We got a call from, from uh, somebody and said, can you help? And we made a couple calls because we have friends. You know, the Lord has given us just special friends over the last years. And within uh, an hour, they were able to get him and get him into a safe house and yeah. protect him. He would be dead today. These are, and they, he doesn't know where to go. He has no family. He has no nothing. He doesn't have anything. That's the, those are two stories. The lady with the orphan, this guy is there to, to bring love. He actually went in there to, to set up fitness centers, you know, and he was going in there in the, in, to be a Christian too, to live out his faith. Those stories go on and on. We have another guy that we're working with. I can't get into details. He's a doctor. And because he was a doctor and he was helping people that the Taliban hated, they're hunting him. They want to kill him. It is so risky. I mean, he's in hiding. We have another... Oh, this is a beautiful story. Another lady that we're dealing with. Oh, I got to tell the story. I know we only have a couple minutes. You're fine. No, there's no time limit to this show. We're calling her Amy Carmichael. For those of you who don't know about Christian history, you know, read a little bit on Amy Carmichael. We're calling her Amy Carmichael. That's her code name. 
she was taking young girls whose parents had been killed and she was raising them. She was just loving on them. And the day before the Taliban or the country collapsed and the Taliban completely took over, she felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, destroy all the paperwork. And it didn't make sense because she's got all these girls. She's got to make sure she can get them into college and do these things, hopefully get them to the United States, whatever that is. And she just listened to the voice of the Lord because she had learned that. So she destroyed everything. The day that the country, 10 days later that the country collapsed, the first place they went was to her house. She had destroyed everything. They turned her house upside down. They were going to die because they were looking for these daughters to find out the connection to the church. And uh, there was nothing. So they left and she was able to escape. Well, her daughters are there. We're dealing with trying to get out this big group of young girls that will be brutalized. And we just talked the other day. It's now four days. They've had no food. They barely have any water left. We're trying to figure that stuff out. To bring it personal, there's hundreds of thousands of people in that situation, if not millions of people in that situation. But when you talk about the body of Christ, it's a small group. There's a, we're working trying to help 3,000. There's 1,300 that we actually are trying to really help. I can't get into more detail than that. Personalize it. These are moms and dads taking care of people, and they're not leaving until we can help other people that they're there to serve. That's what's going on on the ground. This isn't some they don't want to go. Uh, they didn't jump on a plane. It's not that simple. It's a very complicated situation. I was watching an interview with, um, I think he might actually be Mormon. I'm not 100% sure, but Glenn Beck. Oh. Yeah. Well, a lot um, of people think he's converted, but. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Who knows? That's not even necessarily my point. But I watched an interview. Because he he when everything was collapsing, got on an airplane, yep. went to a he did an undisclosed country, and they were doing their own flights. Yep, were and and he said it was on Tucker Carlson, Fox News. He said that the biggest obstacle um, regarding what they're going through is um and Creighton, I think that camera that camera might have died. Yeah, that camera did die. Um, I'm gonna move mine. Yes, so I'll let you do that. Um, they said that the greatest struggle that that they they have right now on the ground is the fact that it's the State Department, that it's our own uh, officials that are are prohibiting us from getting people, um, you know, out of the country. Yeah. So, again, I, I set that up with with the context of 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 a different story. Can you is that Can you verify that? I just was be curious from somebody that's on the ground, is that type of stuff happening? Yeah, so I'm glad you're saying that because one of the things that the church needs to be careful with is we're brokers of absolute truth. And if we yeah. chase all kinds of conspiracy theories or we hear them because it's some doctor that said something and it's not true, we have to be careful. Everything we say, we have to be careful. Some things I just won't give an opinion on because I don't know. It's just my opinion. I'll give it to you personally, but I won't give it on publicly. But I can tell you what Glenn said is absolutely true. And I can tell you we're in connection with their organization. They have planes ready to fly out thousands of people. And it is the State Department that keeps squashing it. Yeah. Everywhere we're about to do something, we get noticed that the State Department shut it down. Yeah. Well, that's a great tease. We're going to... Uh, going to have the whole service on Sunday, which will be fun. Um, I, I do have to just end the show. So much cool stuff happening through Far Reaching Ministries and, and what the Lord's doing. Um, and someone that, that's watching might think to themselves, how are they affording, how, like, how do they afford to do this? Yeah. So can you just close us out? I'll wrap up the show, but just, you know, Far Reaching Ministries operates. You don't make any money. So how does it operate? How does this even function? Yeah. It's, it's people who give to us. We have churches, we have individuals, we have 
committed believers that are successful business people that have been giving oh. to us um, before Afghanistan blew up like this. And I'll, and I'll give an answer to that. We're putting in millions of dollars a year into this, into the work, you know, to, to, to take care of people. Well, when this happened, it was off budget. And so we pulled together a war room and, and did some planning because we need to figure it out. We don't have some big chest of money sitting around. It just doesn't work that way. We're very responsible with our money. We save for rainy days. We know an emergency is coming. You can't print your own? You can't print our own, yeah. It would be nice yeah, if yeah, we and, could. But, yeah, yeah, and if you right. put a couple hundred thousand on a credit card, you got to pay it Invented back. It's crypto, just not that, you know, like Doge that goes crazy. But <laughs> That's anyway, an so, idea. The, yeah. You're there an you idea guy. There you go, yeah. So when this came, um, when we did our initial estimate and we were off, we thought our first, well, we have four phases. Our first phase we thought would cost about 351000 Wes didn't sleep that night. He just prayed to the Lord and he felt like about three o'clock in the morning, the Lord said, I'm going to give you one piece of the puzzle at a time to a 2,000 piece puzzle, meaning you better trust me. We woke up the next day. We got a call from one of our donors without soliciting. He gave us $400,000, covered the first stage. Well, once we got into theater, once we got, once we understood more was going on, on the ground over there, right? We uh, it ended up coming to about a million dollars. Well, the Lord provided for that, and so we have absolute confidence as we're taking step forward. We don't have money for this. We don't have credit cards that can do this. The Lord will make it happen, and it is the body of Christ that has been stepping up in amazing ways. Whether it's a twenty dollar donation or whether it's been you know four hundred thousand dollars, we're just seeing some amazing people step up. The total phase of this, and we're probably going to be off because we're, this is going to be a couple years. We've got to establish people. We've got to find countries for them. We've got to take care of them. We, you just can't throw them in another country and say, hey, good luck. You've got to help them learn the language, get some education, get a job, get a house. Just the rescue over the next probably 2.5 years is going to be about $10 million. We, have, we do not have that money. We have complete confidence that the body of Christ is going to raise up. And, and you're part of the answer. I don't know who's listening, but somebody's going to, their heart's going to be yeah. moved because they're in line. They want to know what God's doing. So Jesus thank you for that. Jesus has plenty of money. Jesus is not short. Yes. We just need yeah. to let the body of Christ know what the truth is. I, I want to say that um, in no way at any point did, did Edward or Sean um, ask me to throw any of that information out there. No. So they're, they're not here to raise money. That was not. That's not part of the thing. But just hearing this as 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 an audience member myself, hearing your story, sure. that's an, a natural question. Yeah. So if someone's listening on our podcast or they're watching the live stream and they do want uh, to give a few bucks, uh, how can they do that? What's the easiest mechanism? Well, first of all, I want to be. I got to be careful. Our website, you know, we're doing the work. Our website's ten years old. So when you look <laughs> at our website, it's way outdated, and and there's a lot of stuff we don't talk about. So we're in the process of trying to get that done. Then Afghanistan hit off. We do have a landing page to make this easy. We needed to do that, and so Sean got one created for us, and it's basically our website, FRMUSA dot org frmusa.org forward slash go for ghost operations and in there it brings up afghanistan that is our number one concern we're still dealing with our other 31 yeah, countries orphans and widows and others yeah, we're, yeah, we're, but, that uh, as i told my staff the other day we have a full-time job but we can't forget our full-time job either so yeah. uh, our staff is probably putting in 16 18 hours a day right now oh, yeah. but if you want to get involved please pray and if you want to give i don't care if it's small big god god knows what he's doing creighton yeah. would you uh could you go ahead and put that link maybe on both the YouTube thread as well as the Facebook thread oh, and Thank we'll you. send that out. Yeah, that's a good idea. And, um, well, fellas, I'm going to go that? ahead and wrap us up. Perfect. But, man, thank you so much for, yeah, for thank you. being with us. Just, and yeah. we'll need to get a report next time you're in town. Of course. Uh, you will get and, one. And uh, excited to have you guys with us uh, at church. Creighton, as always, brother. 
I know there's no camera on Yeah, you. there's no camera for me to say bye. But That's this okay. Is a, this is a good one. I, you, I appreciate You've got a great face for radio, too. He's got, he's got a <laughs> great, you. a wonderful face. Well, anyway, you've been listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. Uh, the show is streamed Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock. Uh, the audio, however, is released the next day, Thursday, on our podcast. If you've yet to subscribe to the podcast, uh, you can do so. Apple, Google, Spotify. For quick links, just visit outlawradio.org. Uh, if you are already a podcast listener, so you're listening on our podcast, again, check us out. The live stream of the show, uh, Wednesdays at 8, our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Outlaw as well as our YouTube channel, outlawradio.live. Uh, with all that being said, thank you so much for, for joining me. Be sure to check out the website, learn more about far-reaching ministries, and I hope you join me this time next week for more of the Outlaw Radio Show. Good, 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 good night, folks. <laughs>